I'm thankful for it. I, one of the first verses in the New Testament that I learned. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. There's two very important words here. And uh, it's found right here when we said, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. Everything in our life, if we love God, happens for our good. Then the other word is, to them who are called according to his purpose. And that's purpose. If I gave out a sheet of paper and what was the purpose that God saved you? You ever thought about that? Well, God said, and we know that all things work together. Everything that's happened to me was for my good if it followed the purpose. It works together, you know, this, this, and this. Sort of like when you're cooking. You know, you start out with something and you got a purpose in it, especially soup. You add this, you add this, let it mix together and it comes out with soup. Well, it's not soup until you mix all the stuff together. You haven't carried out what God saved you for until you understand what is your purpose in life. And most people will say for whatever reason not to get into them but I'll skip that. Well I have no purpose. You would have already been out of here if you didn't have a purpose. I told two doctors this week talking about a procedure, talking about this and talking about that. I said, I hope that the purpose that God has in your life is that you be the best doctor you can be and that you realize that the skills that you have are gifts from God and not because you are super smart. One of them looked at me and said, so you believe that all things happen for God? Yeah, I believe the scripture. All things work for the good to those who love the Lord. The question is, when we look at Romans 8.28, this verse 
that we're looking at is talking about this morning is one of the essential verses in the Bible. An essential verse are verses that as a Christian, you commit to memory and keep them near to your heart. When something happens, when you lose someone in death or they, uh, whatever, you know, that God has a purpose in that. We look at John 3.16 as, as an essential verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, it, it doesn't read, for God loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, there's a responsibility on the sinner. It's a responsibility on the saved person to take the word to every sinner that he possibly can. And I told three pastors this week as I was talking to them, you want to know what's wrong with the churches? You want to know what's wrong with Emerald Road Baptist Church? We've lost our vision. We asked 25 cents a day for our mission fund. Dollar seventy-five a week. $97 a year. You know, I was almost ashamed to present that to the Lord. I spent more than that on coffee. But Romans 8 said that all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. So everything in my life happened for my good if I love the Lord. First John 1, 9, you know, is an essential forgiveness verse. And our text, Romans 8, 28, that's an essential comfort verse. I find comfort when I think about Romans 8, 28. All things work for the good of those who love the Lord, who are the call according to his purpose. A lot of things happen to people. God says doesn't intervene. And they bring it on, you know. Get out here and you suit yourself up with drugs and you suit yourself up with alcohol and you sleep with anything that lays down and you wonder why you have problems you're having. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Tony. I understand what you're saying, brother. We got to have a reason. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know. The we of this verse is the Christian. Romans 8, 28 is not written to the lost man. It's a saved man's verse. Everything in this verse speaks to the Christian. Nothing in it speaks to the non-Christian. You 
If you've been around as many cancer patients as I have, and I'm sure Sue working at the hospital has seen her share of a few of them, not everybody who gets cancer deals with it very good. And that's not saying anything about any of them, you know, because I hate that word. But if I'm saved, and I stop and think about it, and, and uh, Dr. Marshall, who is my new primary physician, and he says, well, there's nothing good about cancer. I said, well, uh, my wife used it as a witnessing tool. God allowed people to come to her. And, and for a little bit, I was sort of, what's wrong with me? Am I sired out for pie or something, you know? I'm the pastor. I'm the one who's been preaching for 50-some years. Why don't somebody come to me? But they didn't. She grew up. So that cancer work for her good because I know how many people she has witnessed to because she had cancer. I mean, after all, God said, for all things work for the good to those who love the Lord. And I believe with every being in me that she loved the Lord. There are differences between men and women, between races, between nations, between citizens, non-citizens, between those with and those without. I'm not saying that all of these differences are good or right, but they do exist, and denying that they do not exist doesn't help anybody. Instead of praying for, you know, somebody or getting angry at them, you know. Never been a year in my life that I've prayed for politicians more than I have the last few years. Elected politicians is destroying this world. You look, you know. Seven, eight people running for one office and you put them together, shake them up, there ain't no difference. That's the last name. Because they say one thing and do another. But badness ought to really relate to that because that's what they do. I'm a badness. I'm proud I'm a badness. What did God save you for? So you go around and tell people you're proud to be a Baptist? Or I'm a light for the Lord? <coughs> the biggest difference of all is the difference between Christians and non-Christians. 
that, you know, you know, as, you know, you know, people uh, told me, I talked to some people and they said, you know, uh, I don't like these people that's, you know, that's got all these diseases and don't know whether they're a man or a woman and some of the kids think they're cats and the mommy said, don't you, don't you bother, she'll be all right. You know what the problem is? Parents, politicians, preachers, those that are in charge don't love God enough to preach the word of God. This all thing, we see our society right now, and if these all things don't make you want to pray to God every day, your your wood's wet. Remember old Bob Jones, Brother Harold? Your wood's wet. We got a lot of Baptists in churches where their wood is wet. Amen, that's a good service. Don't think about it until we... Back again. We go to the Bible and we learn what God wants us to learn and then we share it. Well, you know, people don't want to be bothered. Oh, you can you can witness without ever opening your mouth. This verse is speaking to what happens to Christians. It's, it's promised that God will make everything that happened to a Christian work for the Christian's good. Don't you like a doctor that'll tell you that, you know, I can't heal you. I hope you didn't come here thinking I could heal you because no doctor can heal you. The doctors, the hospital is not going to be able to heal Amber. But they can give her and try to get her in a position where she can help herself. That's what God does. You know, that's what God does. So let me illustrate that by talking about heaven and hell, Christians go to heaven once this life is over. Non-Christians go to hell. There's no pegatory, there's no sleeping, you know, and people, people really think that their loved ones is up there in the cemetery. The guy that runs the cemetery was telling me that what happened a few months ago that the guy was mowing and and he, he mowed some some grass and it went around the tombstone and and the guy happened to be there and I mean he just blew up. You know. He thought we was gonna have to 
called the law. You know, if he just stopped and wait, that those guys that mowed the cemetery, at least the one up here, that they also have a blower on that tractor that they get off, and if they get grass on the tombstone, they get off and blow it off. But, you know, he still believes that his wife is in that coffin down there. What is the reason of that? There's people that think that everybody that's good going to heaven. And preachers must think so too because they're more interested in attendance than they are seeing God save souls. He said, what do you come in here with a burr up you? No. I just... Uh, so I told my sister, she asked me when she came in, I was feeling, I said, I feel terrible Friday. I felt even worse yesterday. What hurt you? Nothing. Just didn't feel good. But you know, there were days that I didn't feel good when my wife was living. There were days I didn't feel good before I was thinking whether I want to have another heart procedure or not. You know, the old things work for the good. And I believe that. That's why I'm still living. I believe the old things. So... When we're talking about there's nothing good, as we said, for the non-Christian in hell, nothing. Hell is forever judgment of sin. That is all it is. Hell will not refine the sinner. Hell will not revive the sinner. Hell will not purify the sinner. Hell's purpose is not to cause the sinner to repent. That's hell just to let him punish, be punished throughout eternity with a memory. In hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. In hell, Lazarus knew Abraham. Abraham knew Lazarus. You know, well, Brother Lance, I don't preach hell. I, I heard one of your sermons on hell. and No, I don't go that far. I don't want to scare anybody. You can't scare nobody in heaven. You can't scare nobody. It takes repentance and faith to keep from going to hell. And you're not helping somebody when you say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's how you deal with it. Well, uh, let me tell you how to deal with your problems. You need a dose of religion. No, you don't. You need a dose of Christianity. God, he's the answer. Turn with me to the book of Luke. Book of Luke, the 16th chapter. All right. 16, verse 23, I believe. 
God said, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He's tormented in this flame. You know, then down in verse 28, he said, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. I preached over to the Fellowship Baptist Church in Richmond, Kentucky, many times. But I preached on hell, and the pastor didn't agree how I preached on hell. I said, I'm sorry if I knew you'd didn't believe the scriptures, I wouldn't have went there. But in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and he became a missionary in hell. Did he not? Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went Unto them from the dead, they will repent. No, they didn't. There was one that came from the dead, my Lord and my Savior. They didn't believe him. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one that rose from the dead. Look in uh, Revelations 14, verse 10 and 11. They use the word torment two times to describe that awful place. Torment, you know. God says very, very clearly, you know, in Revelations 14, 10 and 11. In Revelation 20, verse 10, they use the word once. But, you know, they were tormented. And I emphasize that to help the non-Christian to understand that, that Romans 8, 28 is a Christian verse. It's a Christian verse. Lost people claim it, but God's not talking to them. It applies to the Christian life and to God's power in the Christian life to make everything work for our good. It has no application to the non-Christian at all. Because people don't understand that everyone in this building is saved this morning. Before God saved us, we were so like the lost people. We were selfish, undone, unfit, cared about nobody except ourselves. Oh, you said, I cared about a lot of people when I was, was lost. But in a human way, did you care about them enough to preach the gospel to them? W.D. Hunley. I've had preachers 
tell me? You know. Some of my family be in the hospital. I drove to the hospital to visit them, and, and one of my sisters or whoever's in the hospital would say, that's my brother. And, you know, they said, well, you know, you need to return to church with your sister when she gets out. No, w- 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 what I needed was for one of those preachers that while I was there to preach the gospel to me. Now, you hear some common sense. You don't go into the intensive care, you know. I went up to visit Amber, and we had a prior, but that particular day, she wasn't in no condition for me to sit down and go over the plan of salvation and, and how this was, was, was this and was, was, was that. But you plant the seed. And I tell you, just say one or two visits in the hospital is not going to convince a depraved sinner that he needs to be saved because he just waiting for the doctor to get him or her well so they can start doing what put him in there in the first place anyway unless that whatever they have woke up something that hadn't been woke up before. All things work together. All things. You know, we need to realize that. How will God do this? God can accomplish this by many more means than I can think. But basically, he does it by changing the effects and meaning of bad things in our lives. And uh, I think every Christian sometimes ought to, ought to you know, so like Mother's Day, you know. On Mother's Day, I realize Mother's Day is just for the business. You know, they sell buckaloos of flowers. And, but it's, it's a good time to remember the mother. Father, a good time to remember the father. There's things, you know, and we take this time and we're thankful for the time. But, you know, what I do, and I have a list. I don't know whether Sue and Judy does that. You know, I do things so different that, you know, I hate to even mention it, but, you know, I got a list of all my brothers and sisters. And I got two. I, I even got their birth certificate. And those are the only two that I'm 100% sure they're in glory and I'm going to see them. And you differ with this next statement. That's all right. Don't bother me a bit. I'm going to know who they are and they're going to know who I am. See, we keep those things and, and when I go over 
that list of my brothers and sisters. I pray over it. And everything that's happened in their life comes under Romans 8.28 if they're saved. And why do we argue with God when all things work for the good to those who love the Lord? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a wonderful situation when we, when we have some... Uh, in the word of God where we can find some truth, you know. Roman eight twenty eight is a conditional verse. Two conditions are placed on the Christian to whom this verse was written. Romans eight twenty eight. Now all things work good to those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. Two things. First of all, remember there is a salutation at the front and two conditions in the back. It seems that the conditions further limit those who can't claim the power of this verse. So God is saying that you can even be a Christian and still not have all the things working together for your good. Boy, that bothers me. For as Christians, we get so caught up in the routine of life, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, you know, I've got to get away if it's just walking in the force, you know. Right? I've been there. Where are you going? Don't make any difference. Just different scenery. But, But listen carefully. It seems that the conditions further limit those who can claim the power of this verse. So God is saying that you can even be a Christian and still not have all the things working together for your good because you're a Christian that is not active. If anybody asks, are you saved? Amen. You know you say, I know I'm saved. But you would you would never know it in the day-to-day actions. Said, I don't agree with that. Well, sure you do. Are you going to tell me today you've never been backslidden? But what are backslidden in Christians? He that knoweth to do good and doeth not because he puts self or somebody before the Lord. To then they that are called according to his purpose. To be called means to have heard from God concerning his purpose for your life. Example, live example. Went to visit a lady that my neighbor asked me to go visit. And uh, she 
has these whole stack of these books, the true stories, you know, you know, all of these love stories and mystery stories and everything. And I said, well, you know, uh, so I took for granted that she could see well because she's reading those magazines. and and uh, But she said, no, I, I have a hard time reading the Bible. I can't, I, I can't see it but very well. I said, well, maybe this is just an idea. Maybe you can get the Bible translated into the same print that's in that magazine. She said, I want you to know that I was offended by that. I said, ma'am, I want you to know I didn't intend to offend you. But what I intended to tell you and to get you to see, we read what we want to read. We help who we want to help. If I'm reading this correctly, to have all the things that come into your life to work for your good, some measure of affection for God must be present. No. My precious granddaughter, I told her when they asked me to perform the wedding, I said, you know I'm going to do some preaching. She said, I don't have no problem with that. I said, I, just, I don't want you to be surprised or hurt, you know, because if you've got 100, 150 people there, but where's the preaching in, in that ceremony? Who said, I'm going to follow that ceremony? And she knows that I will not embarrass her or him or anybody. You know, I wouldn't do that. I do have some self-control. But God said in Revelation 2, 4, you know, nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, talking to the church at Ephesus, because thou have left my first love. So... If you have lost or left your first love, Christ has somewhat against you. Because the church, the church of Ephesus wasn't a building, right? It was the people that made up the church of Ephesus. And because they put, and you'll find out that when we study the seven churches, when they left the church to have some worldly entertainment, God said, I have somewhat against you. And when God has somewhat against me, believe me, he may not deal with me on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or even this year, but he'll deal with me. If the condition of this verse is to love God, to feel some affection, loyalty, and 
devotion to him and we have allowed our hearts to grow cold and indifferent to him, then we are no longer meet the condition that the verse no longer applies to us. You know, Pretty, pretty ready to close up. I'll finish it whenever the Lord leads me to. But uh, God said in Revelation, in chapter two, and and you know, in verse four, He said, "Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love." Don't you have something against your spouse if they have left you? and getting their entertainment with some other woman or some other man? Christ is the love of my life. Is he the love of your life? You can't love Christ without loving his church. Don't expect everybody to believe that, but you should believe it because it's true. How you treat his church, he died for that church. We take it for granted that we have the privilege to come in and we all, always don't agree with the approach that Brother Vance goes. And, you know, sometimes he freelances and we wish he'd stick to the scripture and we could get out in 15 minutes and then I'd be a great preacher. You know, I used to preach an hour, hour and 15 minutes. I could easily do that. But you can't hold the attention of people that long anymore. Now some, but not everybody. So God's saying here, I have somewhat against thee. You don't want uh, uh, God having anything against you. He said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. If you used to pray for that prayer box every day and you don't now, you ought to repent of that. I mean, how easy can you pray for every request that was made this morning? Can you remember them now? But if they go into that prayer box, if if this lady that the Brother Matt gave me, when it goes into the prayer box, you don't have to know her, but God knows her. Amen. And you're praying for her. Do you remember to do that? Then God said, I have somewhat against you. That's not complicated. Probably don't have a chance in a million of, of it happen, but I said, you know, I'm going to preach it here because that's the sermon I plan to preach in Alabama. Well, at least they won't call me back anymore, you know. <laughs> but but you but you've got to preach the truth. I mean, closer we get to the second coming. The opportunities are slipping away. Yes, they are. Because preachers are getting older, they're getting sicker, and the young preachers, they 
operates differently. Let's put it that way. And I'm thankful for those who, who preach. But if the tradition of this verse is to love God, to feel some affection, loyalty, and devotion to him, and so we have to try to keep our hearts from growing, uh, growing, you know, against that God becomes first in our life, you know. And neither does this promise apply to stunted Christians, for stunted means that they are not growing. I, I don't have to do anything at the house on any certain time. There ain't nobody's telling me that when the last time you talked to Christ out, did you know? And uh, you know, it's but but I've studied more since my wife has died than I ever did before. What else does a man my age got to do? Dream he's eighteen again? It ain't happening. To help those you can help and get deeper and deeper in the word of God. So we're going to close with this next thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 29. God said, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthy, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That's the key right there. Do I judge myself? Do I preach the way I preach? Do I pray the way I pray? Do I do what I do because of me or because that's the way I felt I'm being led by the Lord? God said, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I don't have to worry about somebody else judging me if I judge my own self. If what I said to believe this morning was because that's what God laid upon my heart, you know, there can be no doubt that Paul was speaking of the Christians for he used the personal pronoun we in both verses 31 and 32 of 1 Corinthians 11. Paul was speaking of Christians doing some things they they should not do and having to endure the consequences that this should not have to endure. What were they doing? They were eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. They were getting drunk before they got there because if you study the Corinthian history, uh, they ate a full course meal or at least a meal before they went in to take the Lord's Supper. 
Some of them's drunk. Some of them's high. But Romans 8.28 should convict us if we are superficial in our love, stubborn in our walk, or stunted in our growth. You know, we need to uh, stop and think. All things. That's been my verse for some time. But it is my verse when I'm going through adversaries, problems, sickness, illness, all things. All things work for the good of those who love the Lord. I don't know a lot. Don't claim to be super intelligent. But I know one thing. I love Jesus and he loves me. Can you say that as a follower?